And welcome on this Saturday morning to Green Thumb from Hair Nursery. I'm Dan DiOrio along with Ethan Wise of Hair Nursery. Green Thumb heard every Saturday at 7 o'clock. And uh, first of all, uh, Steve the Plant is doing very well in our window. He's got little shoots coming up. And uh, so he's doing good. And then we'll have an update on uh, uh, right now the last I saw, Ricky Dose had lost some weight. And uh, so that's the last picture on our uh, Facebook page, the Greg and Dan Show Facebook page. Uh, Ricky Dose is uh, cousins of Ricky, who was in our lobby, who didn't make it. But it looks like we might might have saved Ricky Dose in time. So we'll give you more updates on that. Uh, next week. By the way, what kind of a plant is Ricky Dose? So Ricky is a is also a Sansevieria like Steve, mm-hmm. um, but he is a, a specific species, I believe, called fernwood. So he's a Sansevieria fernwood, whereas uh, the the Sansevieria that Steve is, that's a Sansevieria hanii, or sometimes referred to as bird's nest hanzia, or a uh, bird's nest Sansevieria. But they're they're both very very much related in the same genus. Um, and uh, I don't know how much uh, sun Ricky Dose will get in that spot, but I think it's enough, isn't it? He gets a lot of light. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good amount of light. I think I think he's going to be very happy there. Mm-hmm. Okay, sounds good. All right, so um, all this heat right now, what is it doing to people's gardens? Well, you, there's there's things that I see here um, on site at Hair Nursery, um, pictures that I have received, you know, as far as what's going wrong with my plants. And the three most common things that I am seeing, um, the most common that people are seeing right now are uh, canoeing of leaves. So that essentially your your leaf on your tree uh, or your plant is starting to canoe. It's, it's folding upwards into a taco shell uh, sort of look. And that is caused by heat stress. And it's not necessarily a water thing. You know, I, I had uh, someone come in yesterday, and they're like, well, because as soon as I said, oh, well, that's due to the heat, and then they said, well, we just got all this rain. And, and I said, well, that has nothing to do with, with this. This is truly the heat. It is so hot outside, and plants lose moisture through their leaves in a, in a process called transpiration. So that what they're doing when they're folding their leaves up like that, they're literally trying to uh, – control the amount of lost moisture that is coming out of their leaves. So if they fold up in half, then the wind can't whip over them um, as quickly, uh, or the sun is not going to hit the top of that leaf uh, so blatantly so that they will lose less moisture. So it's an attempt to hold into more more moisture uh, to produce or to prevent what other people might be seeing, which is scorch, which is a browned leaf margin. Uh, and there's certain trees and plants that have a hard time. They're, the way that their leaves are formed, they can't canoe. Like maples. Maples are, are leaves right now that people are seeing probably brown edges on, uh, depending on where that tree is and how much sun it's in. And that's because maple leaves have a hard time folding up into a taco shape. So they can't necessarily prevent that loss of moisture. So what happens is they they start to lose moisture out of their leaves, and the leaves start getting these brown, crispy edges uh, around the margin. So it's not necessarily uh, a lack of water. It's a loss of water that both of those symptoms uh, or both of those results are are a symptom of. So that canoeing is basically um, just a defense mechanism. 
Absolutely. Yep. It's an adaptive defense mechanism to prevent the loss of moisture. So it's a really kind of interesting thing. And, and more often than not, the plants that are doing that have uh, obate, uh, obovate leaves or, or oval-shaped leaves. Uh, and it's, it's just because they have that main uh, vein that travels down the middle of it, it makes it easy for them to fold in half. Whereas you have a maple leaf uh, that kind of has all these sporadic veins all over it and, and multiple kind of tendrils, so to say, uh, to that leaf, it makes it hard for it to fold up. So you tend to notice those have more of a scorch issue, which once again is that brown margin. We're talking with, excuse me, Ethan Wise, Hair Nursery. Green Thumb is the show. If you're just tuning in, this is our second season. Heard every Saturday at 7 o'clock. Uh, always have a pen and paper handy because uh, you may want to jot down some information. Um, what about uh, in in the garden, your garden, let's say, itself, about tomatoes and how how is everything doing? Uh, it's doing well. I am having to water just nonstop. I feel like there's not enough water I can put into my garden right now. Um, and I'm noticing I come home from work and my tomatoes are doing that. So that, that canoeing to the leaves, uh, my peppers are canoeing. Uh, and so uh, I usually, am, if, if I don't water them in the morning before I leave for work, then I am having to give them an extra dose of water and sometimes even have to cut off some dead branches because this late into the season when they're producing so heavily, they really need a steady source of water. They will, if you're, especially if your tomatoes or peppers are in containers, they're going to sap that oh. soil dry uh, within a few hours, especially in the heat that we've had. I mean, when you look at, you think about what a tomato is, it's pretty much entirely water. So it is taking all of that moisture and putting it right into the fruit. And the thing with tomatoes and peppers and, and fruiting, uh, fruiting bodies right now, anything, you know, your trees, your vegetable garden, if they get to a point where they lose too much moisture and the leaves or the branches start to uh, kind of uh, you know, produce like a sense of necrosis, they don't come back from that. It's not like uh, some of your leafier plants where you, have, you go home and your hydrangea is wilting and you give it a drink and it perks right back up. That's very hard for tomatoes, peppers, and other fruiting plants right now to do in this sort of heat. So if they go too long without water, then they will start killing off uh, this kind of controlled um, die-off of certain plants or branches. If a branch is, is demanding too much moisture, then that plant will sort of compartmentalize that wound, cut circulation off to it, and you will just lose that branch. You know, so to prevent that, you really have to stay up on your watering in your vegetable garden right now. You know, we never talked about this, and it's something that's more visual, but I remember my grandpa... Uh, especially early in the season or mid-season as, as the fruit started to appear, he would always be pruning his tomato plants to take away all the mm -hmm. stuff that wasn't, on, that wasn't producing fruit. Yes. Yes, that is a, that's a wonderful thing to do because it's just wasted energy. Mm -hmm. When you're planting a tomato plant, you, you're planting that for the fruit. So if you have any branches, and here you are, and it's June or July, uh, and, and they're starting to produce, and you're starting to see which branches are producing a lot of flowers um, and starting to produce, produce fruit and which ones aren't, yes, that is an excellent thing to do. And i got to say, I didn't do that this year. I did it last year. I was a little bit more meticulous with my garden. Uh, this year I kind of let it go a little bit wild, and I kind of regret that. My... Um, I have. I don't think I got as good of a of a, a harvest of my cherry tomatoes 
as I did last year, and I would attribute that to not selective pruning uh, earlier in the season uh, when I had a chance. Now it's a little bit too late, and, and I feel like it's so hot I would stress my plant out if I was meticulously pruning it right now. Yeah, my uh, my grandfather called it pinching. Got to pinch him. Yep, yep, pinch him, and, and uh, you know, I, I did that too earlier. You know, it's a good thing to do uh, sometimes in May if you feel like your plant is too small. And it's producing all these flowers and all this fruit on it, but it's still this little dinky plant. Um, sometimes it helps that plant produce a more vigorous root system and then also help it grow a little bit more uh, if you pinch off some of those flowers and fruits. Another thing we didn't talk about earlier this season, uh, and I also didn't do that again this year, uh, and I did that last year. And I have some really floppy chili pepper bushes because I, I don't think I let them mature enough before I let the fruit start to set on them. And now I don't have upright peppers. I have peppers that look like they're uh, trying to heat, like they have water sickness or boat sickness, and they're heaving over the side of my pot. So <laughs> that's that's what my garden looks like. And, and once again, I think if I had pinched and pruned them a little bit better, I, I would probably have stronger pepper plants. We got to remember that for next year, uh, the when to yes. prune and how to prune, because uh, that's important if you really want to get a bountiful crop uh, and have good, mm-hmm. strong plants. Uh, and the bugs this year haven't been as bad, the June bugs and everything, Un- unless you live near soybeans where they love it. Uh, if you're buttoned up against right. that, you're probably seeing it. But generally, like within city limits and neighborhoods, we haven't seen as many uh, 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 bugs yet, right? No, no. The, the The theory is that the Japanese beetles are slowly moving their way west. So we'll see. I mean, we'll always have some sort of selection, um, collection, I should say, of them just because of the of the crop fields that we have. They love soybeans. They love corn silk. So we'll always have them. But farmers have been really, really up on spraying for them. Uh, but, yeah, like I said before, haven't spoken to a lot of people who've had issues with those. Uh, so let's let's hope that the theory is correct and the Japanese beetles are slowly moving their way west. Now, I don't imagine that they're going to go over the, walk, uh, over the Rocky Mountains, but... Uh, I'd be curious if if they kind of start bouncing their way, kind of like a pendulum back and forth across the country. They're going to slowly cruise out west to the Rockies, realize they can't go any further, and then they're going to start making their way back east again, and they'll just keep going back and forth. And we'll kind of have like this 10-year Japanese beetle uh, pandemic, kind of like the 16-year locust. So I'm... I'm sticking with that theory. So if, it, if that happens, you'll remember this. Is, you yeah. heard it first on Green Thumb. Now, how do we know they're moving west? Uh, do you see, like, little wagons? Well, they, they were introduced on the East Coast. Ah. Um, so that was where the first documented case was, uh, was somewhere in the New England area, uh, even though they're Japanese beetles and they came from Japan, from Japan which is to the west of us, uh, something happened. They, they uh, traveled across uh, the state or the, you know, the, the ocean and the country, and the first documented case was years and years and years ago, um, somewhere in the New England area, and so they have been moving west. So that's kind of, I'm just sticking with that theory. They've moved their way west to the Midwest from the East Coast, and I imagine they're going to keep on moving the other way, or or maybe they're doubling back to the East Coast. Maybe they don't like it here. Um, I I believe uh, a lot of those bugs that come in from overseas come in on cargo ships. 
Yes. Oh, I imagine so. Yeah, especially, I mean, all it takes, too, is, you know, if you're bringing in a little bit of soil or something, say you have, you're bringing in some fruit or some produce, uh, some cherries, something like that, and there's even just a little bit of soil, like a tablespoon worth of soil could have 30 Japanese beetle eggs in it because they lay their eggs in the soil, usually at the base of a food source. Um, So that could have very easily been how it all started was just a little bit of soil was brought in with a crate of fruit. Um, and, uh, and there we go. Then we started the Japanese beetle pandemic. They had no natural predators. That's why it was such an issue was there's nothing that ate them. You know, some birds would go after them. You know, I've joked about the praying mantid that I have a, have a picture of that had three in its hands. Um, but other than that, very few natural predators, and that's why they were able to take over uh, so viciously. Kind of like the Japanese ladybug, um, which looks like your traditional ladybug, but it's orange instead of red. Well, they brought that in to be a natural predator of the aphid. The problem is is that apparently that ladybug can produce this terrible smelling pheromone, which some of you might be familiar with, uh, and it tastes apparently bitter. I haven't had the chance of trying one yet, but supposedly it tastes really bad. And uh, so there was no natural predator predator to that Asian lady beetle, which we brought in to be a predator of aphids on crops. So it's just, you know, us kind of manipulating uh, nature a little bit and then paying the price for it. Whether or not the Japanese beetle was brought in that way, I don't know the full history, but I like to think that it probably came in on a shipment of fruit. Well, this is a, a unique show in the sense that you're out wandering, uh, wandering the shop. Yeah, right now actually, I'm 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 hanging out with with Deb uh, here uh, in the uh, under our breezeway area, and she's restocking um, and stocking our fresh shipment of fall annuals. So we have ornamental peppers, ornamental kale. Um, we have some grasses, mums, uh, some some really nice celosia, which I know you like. Those are the ones that kind of look like big old paintbrushes. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and uh, so we have a nice selection of those, and it's just beautiful out here. I mean, if you want to switch out your containers, it's time. You know, your caliber coa, your petunias, uh, some of the stuff that you might have in your summer pots is starting to look a little bit weak. Then now is the time to switch it out, get some fresh new stuff into your porch pots, get a little bit of a fall theme to it. Got oranges and reds and yellows and purples. Uh, and pretty soon we're going to start dishing out the pumpkins here um, in a short period of time. And we have loads and loads and loads of pumpkins and gourds uh, and at great prices too. So yeah, if you're, if you're in the market for uh, you need something to do, your porch pot's looking sad, come check us out. Did I hear something about this year, a pumpkin fungus? Ooh, I don't know about that. Yeah. I know we haven't had too much of an issue here. We grow um, our own pumpkins here by seed, and it's, I haven't heard anything from uh, Steve. He's the one in charge of our of our produce growing, um, uh, specifically the pumpkins. And, and no, as far as I know, nothing that I'm aware of, at least, but I'll have to do some research into that. I thought it might have been in Morton, maybe, that uh, they got a fungus in their in their crop over there. All right, so you know, um, there's there's certain ones that can be in the soil which are really hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. So uh, you got all the fall stuff coming in, all various fall colors. Uh, you've got the porch pots, although people can just swap out because petunias and a lot of that stuff gets very leggy this time of year. Yes. So this is a time now. If you are planting, we only got about a minute and a half left before the break. But if you do pick up and you're planting. Uh, do you want to wait till the heat goes down a little bit or is it hard to, is it hard to plant in this heat? 
it's not going to be detrimental to the plants necessarily. I mean, you, you think that they're they're just as heat stressed and they're in little containers right now, so they would probably be happy being put into a a, a larger pot with more soil that's going to retain moisture longer. I mean, in this sort of heat, you know, our, our crew's having to just nonstop water these plants, um, you know, two, three times a day, it seems like, maybe even more. Um, so putting it into a larger planter with more soil is going to retain water uh, more. So I, I would imagine that they would probably be a little bit of a stress period of, of planting it, but a couple days after that, they will be super happy in their new home. You're getting some new fall annuals in, uh, the mums. What else did you say you had? Oh, we got, um, so we have like ornamental uh, grass, uh, ornamental corn. Um, we have uh, ornamental peppers, which, by the way, are very spicy. Uh, don't be a dummy like me and, uh, and, try, and try them to, to get a goof because uh, you will end up just searing the insides of your mouth. Um, <laughs> so ornamental peppers, ornamental kale, uh, mums. We have annual rudbeckia or annual uh, black-eyed Susan. And we just have this, this beautiful arrangement that I'm looking at right now, which is all of the celosia. Um, so there's, there's red celosia, big purple um, celosia, the medium-sized purple celosia, which I am a huge fan of the purple celosia, and the pollinators love it. I had a, a, a border. My whole south side border was this, uh, this smaller um, coned purple celosia, and every day it was just loaded with, uh, with honeybees and bumblebees. They really loved it. Um, and so got a really nice, fresh selection of all kinds of goodies. Uh, I can't remember if I mentioned the mums, but we got mums. We have asters. Uh, and then we have we still have some other plants that you know are people might have had or seen throughout the season, but we have sweet potato vines, which are still going to look great in your porch pot this late into the season. We have um, a, a plant called Creeping Jenny, which I really like. Now, don't let it get into your yard because it can be invasive as far as a, uh, some people uh, view it as a weed if it gets into your yard. But it kind of depends because it, it is a ground cover, so it just kind of depends on what you're looking for. But if, it, if you're not looking for a volunteer ground cover in your garden, do not let the Creeping Jenny touch the ground. But other than that, it's a great plant, and it usually gets this really nice orange fall color to it as well. So as the season starts to change, the Creeping Jenny will start to change as well, uh, which adds some, some impact to your porch pots. So you are saying creeping Jenny, because I don't want a plant named Creepy Jenny. That would not be good. Now, yeah, 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 you don't want Creepy Jenny. Cre- creepy Jenny, yeah, you don't want to have to get into filing a, a lawsuit against her. Um, yeah, so creeping Jenny, or sometimes I think called Penny, penny Wart or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because its leaves are about the size of a penny. Now, uh, for a lot of these fall annuals, uh, direct sun or is it better with filtered sun? So most of them are very tolerant to full sun. Um, and have no issue, but they would also thrive in part sun areas as well. So I think as long as most of these annuals, as long as you're able to get them for um, at least minimum four hours of direct sunlight, uh, they will they will give you uh, some beautiful color to look at. But they are all very, very tolerant to full sun, uh, and they will probably give you the best of the best in full sun. All right. Um, now you said you got in a new shipment of house plants because people are going to oh, start yeah. buttoning up in the next couple of months um, and start looking at house plants. And there's some special ones you got in that uh, you said you've been trying to get in for a while. 
Yes. So there's been certain plants that there's just been this massive shortage in. And house plants have been one of those things. Well, plants in general. I mean, just to remind people, um, you know, last year when we were all, uh, many of us were trapped at home and we're getting stimulus checks, we're getting a little extra for unemployment and people couldn't travel. So what were they doing? They, they couldn't go on vacation. So they're, and they're trapped at home, but they have this money that they, that they've been allotted. They can, they can put towards bills or, or whatnot. But some of them ended up putting that into their property, um, to be Beautify the property, or people who save up every year to go to Disneyland or um, go to California. Well, they couldn't do that, so they were busting out and dusting off their old design plans. And so the plant industry kind of got this really big boom last year. Um, and a lot of vendors, whether it's perennial vendors, tree vendors, tropical vendors, like what I deal with with the house plants, they're still recovering. They're still kind of playing catch up from last year. And so there's been things that I haven't been able to get my hands on because the demand got really, really high. Um, people got really into plants and house plants over these last couple of years, which I'm very grateful for. Thank you, everyone who, who, who did that. You're keeping me employed. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been weird. So there's been certain things like rubber trees, which I really love. I've had a hard time getting Hoya, which is another popular house plant. Um, I've had a hard time getting uh, quite a few different types of philodendron and pothos, surprisingly, which is not a new house plant. It's been around for decades and decades and decades. But all of a sudden got this surge of popularity to it, I think because they're just so low maintenance, which we've talked about. We've talked about them being great office plants. And so I just had a hard time getting certain things. And I finally, um, there's a particular vendor that I will keep hush, hush, um, that I um, have been in contact with, and they had loads of the good stuff. And so I stocked up, um, and we'll probably have, you know, have, um, uh, I think it was five, five or six pallets of plants that came in. So we had a heyday uh, getting everything uh, unpacked and stickered, uh, and it's just very fun. And so now our house plant tropical area is loaded. So if you are in the market for a new house buddy, um, if you are jealous of, of uh, Greg and Dan Steve, then come out here and get your own. You know, philodendrons I like. I got kind of the standard green with a little bit of the yellow edge, but are there different types of philodendrons? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Lindsay, um, uh, my fiance, my future wife, um, will, uh, that's happening so, so soon now. Um, but, uh, yeah, we have our collection of, of different pothos finds, and we have probably about, um, I think we have about seven or so in our house wow. that are all different ones. So there's uh, green and white ones. There's yellow and green ones. There's lime green and green ones. There's, of course, the solid green one. Um and there's ones with different uh, shapes to their leaves. So just like a really nice collection um, of them that exist. And, and whenever we see one that's truly different, uh, we can't help but, but spend 15 or 20 bucks on it. So, yeah, we might need to just sit down and be <laughs> intervened sometime. But, yeah, the same with Sansevieria. I love collecting Sansevieria and Pothos. And I feel like you can get so much interest and in, in look with those. You can put them all over your house because they're super adaptive to pretty much any environment. Um, and, and like we've talked about with both of them, they don't require that much care. More often than not, neglect is best. Yeah, philodendron, uh, I've gone a month and a half or, or more without watering it, and then you can start seeing it. But I'm telling you, that thing spreads quickly. Yes, 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 which is also what I love, too. Like, I have one of my philodendrons is in our bathroom upstairs, 
and I put in these little S hooks all over the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And I just wrap the vine all across the ceiling, uh, and it maybe gets, you know, an hour, an hour of direct morning sun in the morning, and then that's it. And then it just gets the light whenever we turn the light on in the bathroom, and then it gets that natural humidity from the shower, mm-hmm. and it is super happy. And it looks really cool, too. It's so you go into the bathroom, and you have this little miniature jungle growing across the ceiling, which is really fun. <laughs> You know, another uh, house plant that we just talked about this week on the Greg and Dan show in the mornings, uh, they were kind of making fun of because it was a favorite for hippies and, and macrame uh, containers, and that's spider plants. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We have loads of spider plants. Um, we have little baby ones. We have big, giant hanging baskets. So if you want to start your own, we got little itty-bitty babies of them. And if you want one that's ready to go, that's ready to, uh, to be a conversation piece, we have those as well with all kinds of tendrils hanging off of them. But, yeah, the spider plant has made an interesting comeback over the last couple of years. I'd say, you know, a couple of years ago, um, you know, I'd sell a decent amount of spider plants. It was nothing that I think people were coming in droves for. And then this year, I got to say, probably if someone every week is asking, do we have spider plants? So it's another one of those plants that's uh, made an interesting comeback. And ours are gorgeous. Now, do you have uh, the macrame uh, hanging pot holder for the spider plant that was so popular in the 60s and 70s, along with maybe a lava lamp? Right, right. You'd be you'd be surprised how how many people have asked about the macrame pot holders. And we we used to have um, uh, we had a vendor. You know, it was a consignment situation, and someone would make them and then and then sell them in the store. But we haven't since heard from them in a couple years. And uh, we've ordered some in the past, but they've been really cheaply made, uh, and pots have kind of fallen out of them. Yeah. So yeah, that's one of the things that we we didn't we didn't get. So we were missing our. Um, our person who made them, handmade them, and, and sold them here consignment because the ones that we've ordered in from other vendors wholesale just haven't been impressive. So, no, the the short answer is no, we don't have any of those, but we do have some hanging pots, some interesting hanging pots, but uh, oh. yeah, nothing, nothing macrame. <laughs> All right. You also have been getting in more trees for uh, fall. Uh, more in September, when the temperatures start getting cooler, is the best time to plant trees, is it not? So it's it's not. I wouldn't say it's the best time to plant trees, but it's still a really good time to to uh, plant trees. Mm-hmm. You know, fall is um, it's it's a great time in the sense that the temperatures are cooling off. The ground is going to start retaining more moisture for longer because the temperatures are cooling off. The the days get a little bit shorter, so it's not such an intense amount of sunlight. Mm-hmm. Um, so the environmental factors kind of play into it. But if not to, but I don't want to discourage anyone. If you're in the market for a tree now, oh man, do we have trees? Mm-hmm. Um, so you just have to be more diligent about your watering of your trees in summer, and that's one of the reasons why fall is considered a decent time is because you just don't have to be as diligent about maintaining the care of that tree because the weather is a little bit less extreme. Uh, um, but yes. My my favorite, and I got a spot for it for maybe next year if I can clear things out there, uh, I love Japanese maples. Now, this spot, it would get uh, about five, six hours of afternoon sun, maybe about four, uh, but would be shaded by a big ash tree. 
Um, so is that is that a, a good spot? Because I know you don't like, you said, as far as Japanese maples are concerned, they shouldn't be out in open areas away from the house because they get, just can't take that harsh winter. Right. That's more of the problem. Um, you'll read them, I know, you know, and, and even it kind of depends on the, on the horticulturist that you speak to out here. We can kind of have varying opinions as far as how much sunlight a Japanese maple can take. And they can take full sun as long as they're well watered. Mm-hmm. The problem that they stuff that they can suffer from, I think that's worse for them than full sun is like you just said, the sheer cold that happens over winter. So you have a Japanese maple right out in the open with no protection from the winter winds. That's going to be more detrimental to you than uh, having one up next to your house on the south side of your house where it's in full sun. And I can attest to that because that's where my Japanese maple is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on the direct south side of my house. Um, uh, southeast to be specific and it's very happy Uh, and I think part of that has to do because it's so close to the house and it doesn't get bombarded by those strong north uh, or west winds it's it's thrived and it's done really well so I think if where you're where you're planning and uh, and I think I know where you're talking about right in front uh, of the house where you were talking about yeah yeah that little garden that yeah um, I love the idea the 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 brain, the brainchild for that spot, um, and a Japanese maple would look really nice there. It would do well. It'd be protected um, from your house. It'd be close enough to your house, and the full sun isn't going to bother it. Now, if you got a, a fine leaf Japanese maple, one of those really really dainty leafed varieties, mm-hmm. well, those have a higher likelihood of burning up in the heat of the sun, but they bounce right out of it. If you got a, a bigger leaf Japanese maple, one that looks more like your traditional maple leaf. Uh, those are a little bit uh, easier to maintain in the heat. They retain moisture in their leaves a little bit better. Now, um, how many varieties of Japanese maples are there? I like the more dwarf varieties. There are like six, maybe seven feet tall. Yes, we have quite a few of those. Um, so this late in the season, we, we start to dwindle down on our Japanese maples. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't tend to order heavily uh, just because we usually we're kind of on the agreements here um, or the agreement here that, that you know, you want to plant your Japanese maple usually by September. Mm-hmm. Um, later than that, it might not get established and, and make it through its first winter. So uh, we don't have as full of a selection as we would have in late spring, early summer. But those dwarf varieties, we do carry quite a few of. And, uh, you know, the, lots of them have names that I'm not even going to attempt to try to spell for you. But there's Tamukayama, there's Eniba Shidari, Crimson Queen. Um, so there's, there's a nice selection of those dwarf uh, varieties that will uh, stay probably five to six feet tall and, and wide mm-hmm. and not get a whole lot bigger than that. So if you're in the market for a dwarf one, there's a lot of them. And we also have bigger ones, too. So I'd say on any given season, we have about 15 different varieties of Japanese maples to choose from. Uh, Greg asked this question. Greg Batten, my partner in the mornings oh, on no. WMED, he, no, he had a, a, a tree that died about 10 years ago. And he's like, yeah, I'm thinking about getting another tree in that spot, but I'm impatient. Can you get trees that are bigger already? Oh, yeah. We have some big trees right now in containers. So we've we've slowly been phasing out of what we refer to as bald and burlap trees. So those are field-grown trees that we then dig out of the ground, we wrap in a ball, um, and, and they go about their way. Now, the field, so it's just so darn heavy. 
um, and plus the labor that goes into digging out a tree and then wrapping it in burlap and, and moving all these heavy, heavy, heavy trees all around the sales yard. So we've started growing more and more trees into large containers, and we have been extremely happy with the success rate of this. And so you can come in, get a 25-gallon container plant. Um, so that's maybe about um, almost a two-foot-wide pot. And the tree that can survive in that is upwards of, of 10 to 18 feet tall, depending mm. on the species. And it's just phenomenal. We have some autumn blaze maples in 25-gallon um, pots right now that are massive. They're, uh, you know, it's, it's an 18-foot-tall tree, and it's in a container, and it's super healthy. So I really believe that's the new future of buying trees is no longer or, or slowly you know, phased out in the next few years. You won't have to stress about trying to figure out how you're going to handle a thousand pound uh, tree, you can come in and get a 200 pound container tree. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, hours uh, as you wander the yard. hours, eight to six, eight to, eight six. to six, Monday through Saturday. Now, um, starting September 1st, we will be nine to five. So nine to five, same days, Monday through Saturday. Um, so still here to, to serve you six days a week. Yep. All right, sounds good, and we'll get into more trees next week, all the various varieties that you have uh, at Hair Nursery, located on Route 91 uh, in Peoria. For Ethan Wise, I'm Dan DiOrio. Thanks for listening to Green Thumb from Hair Nursery on WMBD. See you next Saturday or hear you next Saturday at 7.